Thanks for joining us for our first episode of Mango Gold's Plugged In Podcast, where we break down current developments in environmental law in 10 minutes or less. My guest today is my partner, Kate Vaccaro, co-chair of our air practice group at Mango Gold. Kate is here to talk about a brand new air regulation in Pennsylvania called RACT-3, which the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection just finalized on November 12th. The rule took effect immediately, and the first deadline is coming up on December 31st, leaving very little time for effective facilities to prepare their initial submissions to the department. Kate, thanks so much for joining us today to talk about this long-awaited final step for DEP. If you can indulge me for just a minute, let's start with the basics, and that is the acronym. What does RAC stand for, and why is this new regulation known as RAC-3? Sure. Thanks, Kate. Um, so RACT actually stands for Reasonably Available Control Technology. And um, that's important because uh, unlike a lot of other air regulations, RACT, um, by its definition, considers concepts of both technological and economic feasibility. So in that regard, um, this regulatory framework tends to be a bit more forgiving than some others. Uh, it's called RAC 3 because this is actually the third version of a RAC regulation that has been promulgated in Pennsylvania. So, you know, what happens here is basically uh, RACT is a way for Pennsylvania and other states to implement emission controls on major sources of NOx and VOC uh, in order to ultimately reduce concentrations of ozone in the atmosphere. And that all stems and relates back to national ambient air quality standards that the EPA establishes um, for what they believe are acceptable levels of air pollutants in the atmosphere, to taking into account both environmental conditions and more importantly, human health standards. So RACT is the latest version of the regulation that um, Pennsylvania is going to be using to demonstrate how it will achieve those required ozone concentrations in our atmosphere. And it took a very long time for the state to actually promulgate this final regulation, which let, has led to the complicating factor that Kate flagged at the top, uh, which is that affected facilities simply have virtually no time to process this reg, uh, evaluate it as it applies to their own facilities, and then move forward with whatever implementation steps are required. So it's really going to be a challenge for a number of facilities. Great, Kate. So uh, I want to drill down just a little bit more into understanding who, like kind of the scope of this new regulation. Who exactly will it affect? Is it is it facilities that are already you know, complying with RAC2? Is it going to sweep in other facilities that aren't currently subject to RAC2? Can you give a little bit more on that to our audience? Absolutely. So, um, Yes to the question about, you know, will RAC 2 affect facilities that were subject to RAC 3? Uh, the short answer there is yes. And for those facilities, RAC 3 probably will not pose um, a lot of complications or surprises. But RAC 3 is different than RAC 2 in that 
because the state needs to make further reductions um, in NOx and VOC through this reg, they necessarily had to look to other sources of pollution um, to make those emission reductions. So for that reason, RAC3 is broader in scope than RAC2. Uh, and there will be additional source categories that fall within the framework of RAC 3 uh, that were not previously subject to RAC 2. Um, additionally, uh, RAC 3 includes some more stringent standards uh, than their counterparts from RAC 2. So that will be an area where sources really need to uh, take a hard look. Um, the, the, the starting point for talking about, you know, who this regulation is going to apply to is pretty straightforward. It's any facility whose total air emissions are above what we call the major source thresholds for either NOx or VOC. So that's really your starting point. Um, and if you are a facility whose total air emissions are relatively low and you're not meeting those major thresholds, then this is, this is not something that, you know, needs to be on your radar screen. But for any facilities that are considered major, um, you know, RAC3 is something that will um, necessarily require, at the very least, the submission of um, an initial notification, uh, which is that submittal that, that Kate referred to as being due on dis, uh, no later than December 31st of this year. Okay, so for, for these so-called major sources for, for VOCs or for NOx that are now going to be subject to RAC 3, what, what is the facility going to have to actually do to comply with the new regulation? So the, the first step, as I mentioned, and this will apply across the board to any facility, as I said, that is quote-unquote major for NOx or VOC, uh, is to submit an initial notification. And basically uh, what that consists of is looking at each individual uh, emission source at a facility that emits either NOx or VOC and indicating whether that source is subject to the standards in RAC3. They may or may not be. Um, as part of that, um, and this sort of relates back to the fundamental um, construct that is racked, the facility will need to determine uh, whether those relevant sources either fall squarely within specifically enumerated standards that are in the reg or whether the facility believes uh, that a source-specific alternative compliance demonstration is justified. And here we're, we call that a case-by-case -case rack determination. Um, that alternative demonstration is where you can really take a hard look at whether there is an emission reduction uh, procedure or um, option available that is both technologically and economically feasible. So sources will really have to engage in a combination of analyses of whether there's a categorical standard that they believe is appropriate for the relevant sources at the facility. Um, and if not, then they would need to engage in a much more technical and robust analysis of technological and economic feasibility. So once that whole source by source analysis has been done, all of that gets packaged up into this initial notification 
which we mentioned is due just a few weeks after the rule has become final. Um, and then, you know, it's it's almost hard to believe, but the very next deadline is actually a day later, January 1st of 2023. And that is, you know, technically speaking, an implementation um, compliance deadline. Um, however, because of the timing constraints that affect this rule, I think it's, uh, I think sources and the Department of Environmental Protection are pretty keenly aware of the challenges that are going to be unavoidable in this case. So, Kate, I, I mean, I'm not an air lawyer, and just what you described sounds like a ton of work in the next month for, for at least certain facilities. And you just commented on how both the department and sources are sort of aware of the time sensitivity here or the challenges presented by, by these initial deadlines. Do you, do you have any indication as to whether DEP is going to be exercising enforcement discretion or, or you know, are they going to come out at the beginning of the year um, you know, and take aggressive enforcement measures? Is there anything you can say about that right now? Yeah, it, it actually, it certainly is a lot of work. You're, you're right on that. Um, we do have some clients who actually started working on these initial notifications long before the rule was promulgated as final, because, of course, we knew that it was coming. Um, and those, you know, facilities are, are probably well situated. But um, DEP did uh, just... Um, I'd say last, late last week after the rule had been uh, finalized, it did produce what they're calling sort of a form, which is um, unfortunately does not seem to be available publicly through DEP's website or other electronic resources, but they've emailed it to DEP's own list of who they believe are major sources for NOx or VOC. And, you know, I've seen it. It's pretty straightforward, and I think that will help to um, streamline the process for facilities to complete this initial notification obligation. Um, but, you know, that being said, um, I, I, you know, DEP has been aware of the delays that have been um, occurring here with this regulatory development process, and they have signaled at least verbally through meetings that, you know, they do fully expect sources to be meeting this initial notification uh, deadline of December 31. But beyond that, um, I think they've, the messaging that has been given most frequently is that if you're facing a problem with the compliance and the timing, you should really just reach out to the department. Um, of course, we can never make any guarantees about enforcement discretion, but presumably, I think of, of uh, out of any cases like this, I think this is one where DEP is going to be more apt to uh, be a little bit more forgiving with um, with the deadlines, recognizing um, the timing that that challenges that all these facilities are facing. Kate, thank you so much for your time today on a, on a very topical and timely topic. And thank you, our listeners, for staying plugged in. Be sure to tune in to next month's episode where we will discuss another big acronym in the world of environmental law, and that's PFAS. And in particular, whether there may be insurance policies in your cabinets that might provide coverage for PFAS-related investigation and cleanup costs.